Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Proverbs? Proverbs, please. We're just going to lift one verse, but we'll look at quite a lot of Scripture tonight, God willing. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, and one verse, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way. And the froward mouth do I hate. Let's just read it again. The fear of the Lord is to hate. Notice the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance on the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Let us pray. Father, tonight we ask you, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts again. Lord, tonight we ask you that you would have your way with us. Lord, we ask you that you would come and move in our hearts. We ask you tonight, Lord, that you would come and speak to us and deal with us in your own special way. May your Spirit come and may he move in us like never before. May, Lord, you stir up our spirits to hate evil and to fear your holy name. Glorify your Son tonight as we magnify him and lift him up and speak of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help this man of frailty and clay lips to glorify your wonderful Son. So, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. My brothers and sisters and friends, the the Proverbs writer Solomon says that we are to fear the Lord and it means we are to hate evil. We think of the evil that's going on around the world. Think of the evil that's in our land. We think of the evil that's across our nation. And God says, if you, if you and I, if we fear the Lord, then it will be natural for us to be against all those things that are contrary to his word and his law. That if we fear the Lord, then it's natural that we will hate evil. Every evil thing against the word of God, we will not only dislike it, but we will Hate it. Here's a question then to all of us. Do you fear the Lord? Now, before we go any further, before someone sins with their lips in their heart before God tonight, maybe someone unsaved here and blasphemes the name of Christ and denies the existence of God, even before a brother or sister will say, ah, But perfect love casts out fear. Yes, it does. But we need to look at that in its context. So let us not be hasty with our mouth. And we'll look at the word fear in a little while. So before we go any further and before one speaks and answers hastily to the question, do you fear the Lord? Lest you put your soul in danger if you're unsaved, let us look at what it means when we ask you, do you fear the Lord? Tonight we want to speak on fear God and hate evil. Because the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Hence, me putting out the warning 
not to be rash nor hastily reply with our mouth. The Lord Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 12 and verse 37, For by thy words shalt thou shalt be justified. Notice, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. In other words, that which we speak in faith, believing and trusting in Christ and his cross work, we're justified because we're saved by grace. And hence we'll speak words that we believe in God. We'll speak words that we, yes, we fear God in the right sense. And hence we are justified because our words say that we are trusting in the blood of the Lamb, trusting in the blood of God's Son. But yet those who are not trusting in Christ, thy words will condemn you. Your blasphemies will condemn you. Those who we hear, those who we see on social media, here on radio, maybe on your television, everyone who speaks an idle word against God and his word will be condemned lest they come to saving faith and repent and be washed in the blood of God's Son. Adam Clark, the old preacher, the Methodist preacher, once said on idle words. The ancient Greek word used for idle word is a word that does nothing that neither ministers grace nor instruction to them that hear it. In other words, he's saying an idle word is no good to anybody. An idle word spoken will not minister grace, nor will it give instruction It's idle, it's empty, it does nothing. Yet Christ says, thou shalt be condemned and stand in judgment even for your idle speaking, for your idle words. And if Adam Clark is right, and I I greatly appreciate his commentary, it's one of the most, uh, I I would say, popular or famous commentaries, if I can use that word, uh, uh, that Christians may read. But if Adam Clark is right, then many preachers, I want you to take note, many preachers, many pastors, many church leaders, many preachers might find themselves guilty of this very sin. Idle words. Words that are nothing to the soul. Words that are empty and vain and useless words that bring nothing from the gospel. There's many who climb behind the sacred desk and they don't even open the scripture to tell people of their need of the Savior, to point them to Christ. And there are many preachers living in this day and age especially. We always speak about, oh, wonder what it was like to live in the days of the prophets. Well, the prophets wanted to know what it was like to live in the days of you and I. They looked to these days. What was it like to live in the days of the apostles? Well, you had to have some grit about you. You had to have some depth in you in the scriptures. You had to have your life fully fixed on the Lord Jesus. You had to know that he was alive. And that he just didn't go to a grave and die and lie there rotting away. But rather that Christ was risen from the dead. And believing it with all of your heart. And confessing it with your mouth. Because they were put to the sword and they were crucified and they were burned alive. But this day and age that you and I live in, there are preachers guilty of idle words, idle speaking, words with no grace and words without instruction for the day in which we live. They don't teach nor tell the congregations, not every, I said many, but they rather would bring them stories that will have itching ears, that will soft soap them and pat them on the back and pump up their tires to make them feel good on the way home, that they'll have a comfortable sit, an easy ride through the sermon. And there are many preachers who are telling little fables and fairy tales and fancy stories, and men and women are going to hell in a handcart. 
souls dying without Christ. And also, they're not telling them the days in which they are living in and how they should be in such a year as 2023. They're not sounding the alarm in Zion. They're not putting the trumpet to their mouth, but rather giving idle stories and little tales uh, that will help the people get home. And they know little to nothing of the Scripture, nor of the things that are happening and what the Word of God says. Brothers and sisters, we as preachers, we as pastors, we are to be watchmen on the wall. Watchmen looked out for the dangers coming to the city and to the people. Watchmen told of the times that was coming. From the rising of the sun to the going down again, they kept the eye out and they shouted out and they looked out and they watched out. And when all were coming to attack, when danger was at hand, they warned the people and the people could ready themselves before the event happened. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately, there are many who are not who are not being a watchman on the walls of Zion. They're not being a watchman. What a greater time to be a preacher than today. There's so much material to lift out from the Word of God and to see what is happening and what is coming upon the land and how and what God says about it all. And brothers and sisters, men are full of idle chit-chat. Preachers are full of idle words. And they might find themselves guilty of this very sin. We had the rain this morning with the wind tonight. Typical, isn't it? It'll not put us off, though. The old Puritan John Trapp once said, Idle and wasted words are to be accounted for. What then of evil and wicked? If idle words that show no grace or uh, give no instruction will be accounted for, what then will the wicked, the words that they spew and speak against God and heaven, where will they stand? The blasphemous people you see walking about our streets. The Christ haters. Those who are against God and his word. Those who are in these pride parades and blaspheming the name of Christ. Those who are in the nightclubs or in the bars and Christ's name is like a swear word on their lips. Those who are Uh, full of sin and debauchery, whether it's heterosexual or whatever, homosexual, and the hatred toward Christ, where will they stand? Where will they stand with their evil and wicked words? William Jenkins once said, that which man spits against heaven shall fall back on his own face. That which man spits against heaven will fall back on his own face. The man who shakes the fist toward God, the woman who denies and is ignorant and blasphemous toward heaven, the one who says there is no God and shakes the fist and points to the sky and proclaiming, come down now then, Jesus, and show yourself if you be real. With a wicked heart, and lustful ways, spitting against heaven, William Jenkins said it will fall back on their own face. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. The Lord Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth will speak. Whatever the heart is like, whatever the heart is full of, whatever the language the heart has been around, whatever company the heart has been in, 
Whatever the heart has been seeing, watching and reading and listening to, then the heart will be full of it. That's why so many were full of fear by what they were seeing and what they were hearing on every avenue that could fill the hearts of men and women, just as many of elitists and governments wanted us to be full of fear. The Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And of a sound mind. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Listen, brothers and sisters and friends tonight. Words are not just words. Words are the index of the human heart. Words are the index of the human heart. Sometimes you get a book and you look up the index to see what's in it. What is the chapters? What's their titles? What does it say about it? And words are the index of the chapters of your heart. What does your index say? What does your index say? Is it full of the word of God? Or something else. So here's the question we opened up with this evening. Do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? Because Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It doesn't even say, If you fear the Lord, you might have to hate evil. It means that it says, if you fear the Lord, you hate evil. Because the index of your heart is full of the word of God. And everything of God and all that is holy and all that is true and honest and sanctified and pure and lovely will fill the heart of the Christian. And when they see the evil, naturally we are in juxtaposition one against the other. And there is the evil. And God says, we will naturally hit the evil. When I look around this world, when I look around society, when I listen to the the vileness of the hearts of some men and women, when I see the wickedness that's abounding, when I look and see the evil all around us, I have to say, brothers and sisters, I find nothing, nothing in unison with it. I find I have nothing toward that. I find that between us there is a great gulf fixed. And I have to say, I fear the Lord and hate the evil. I hate the evil. The word fear here, we'll look at it, is the word yurah. Yurah, and it means, it can be fear, it can mean terror. It can mean to revere and to dread. And listen, the, the unsaved, the unregenerate, those who have never been to the cross and know Christ as their own Lord and personal Savior, those who have never been washed by faith in the blood, they should have the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord. They should revere the Lord with dread, for one day they'll stand before him. But if you're saved tonight, if you're Christ tonight, then this fear and terror and dread is taken from us because we live in perfect love with him. But this word fear, your awe, means also to be in awe of him. To be in awe of him. It also means to reverence him with deep respect. I can say when I say I fear the Lord, I mean I am in awe at him. I am in awe at how he could love me. I am in awe how he could give his son for me. I am in awe how he could go to the cross and bleed and die for me. 
I am in awe at his majesty, his splendor, and his glory, as it tells me throughout the scripture. And yet mine eye hath not seen it yet. Yet I am in awe of him, in awe of him. So do you fear the Lord tonight? Or have you lost your awe? Have you lost your awe of Christ? I don't serve him out of fear or dread or terror. I serve him because I love him. And I love him because he first loved me. But yes, I fear the Lord. I'm in awe of him. I reverence him as the almighty creator God. See, they're sending a rocket into space. It says they're going out to look at the dark matter. Notice the words even use dark matter. And they've recognized they've got it wrong. They've got it wrong that the, the whole universe is different than what they actually thought. Well, you know what? We've been preaching and trying to tell them it long ago. <laughs> and they say now they believe that as the universe is expanding, as they believe that there's something that's holding it together. Holding it together. And they're asked in interviews and have watched them, well, what do you think it is? And went, we don't know. We have no idea. There's something holding it together other than it flying apart. There's some force or form that's holding it together, stopping the gravity from destroying itself. That's what they're saying. And they're sending a rocket away up out there somewhere, way off somewhere over the rainbow. I don't know where they're going. They say they don't know, but they know there's a force that's holding it together. Let me tell you what's holding it together. The Bible tells me he's upholding all things by the word of his power. <laughs> Our God is upholding all things by the word of his power. And hence, these scientists are still trying to find out what is the meaning of life from where is the beginning of life. And what is out there? All we need to do is look at God's book and read the Holy Scriptures. In the beginning, God. We don't need to go any further. In the beginning, God. Psalm, one, Psalm 19 and verse 9. I want to look at the fear of the Lord for a few moments and if the unsaved can look and see the fear or the terror, uh, revere and dread of, of the Lord, and that should be their position. But the blood wise should look and see how they are, that they are in awe of him with reverence and respect to him. Psalm 19 and 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean. What does that mean? Do you ever wonder? Enduring forever. Notice the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. What does he mean it's clean? Well, the word here for clean is the word tahor. Tahor, that means the fear of the Lord is physically, morally, ceremonially, and even ethically clean. It gives the idea that if you're fearing the Lord, then you're walking in the word of the Lord. You're walking before the Lord. You're reverencing on the law of God and everything that's evil, you're hating it and you're clean because you're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Notice, brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord is clean. Is clean. It is tahor. It means you're completely clean. For example, clean is in the opposite to filthy, unclean. To filthy or unclean. Genesis chapter 7, we'll not turn to it. Let me just give you a few examples. We have uh, Noah's ark and they're bringing the animals on and the Lord tells them to bring them on. I told you this before. The animals went in. What way did they go into the ark? I just aren't on. Answer me now because I told you. So it says, and the animals went in two by two. Her house not to be song. Well, some of them did. In Genesis 7 and 1, they went in seven by seven. Seven by seven. You know why? 
for they were clean. It's the word to whore animals, were clean. In other words, they were brought in and they could sacrifice when they got off the ark. They could eat while they're on the ark. Well, if they have two sheep, clean animals, or two deer, clean animals. If they ate one and there was only one left, then there's no more deer. It's not right. There's no more sheep. But here, their clean animals were seven by seven, and the unclean were two by two. Notice here again, in Exodus 25, making that ark of the ark of the covenant with the acacia wood, and then they overlaid it with gold. And it says in, in Exodus 25 that the gold was to be purified or clean. The word purified, it means clean. It's the same word. It's the word tohor. The tohor. So the clean animals were the tohor. Everything about them was classed as clean before God. And then there were the unclean, classed as the filthy, unclean animals before God, the two by two. Now the Ark of the Covenant, the gold was to be tohor. That means they had to purify the gold and take away the dross, put it through the fires again, and the dross came to the top, and they took it again seven times through the fire to get the purest, cleanest form of gold to overlay the ark. Because you see, this ark typifies Christ. It has to be the cleanest and purest of gold typifying Christ. And so the word to purify it or be clean, gold on it, it's the word tahor, that everything about it is pure. Job says in Job 14 and verse 4, who can bring a clean, a tahor thing out of an unclean? And the word unclean is the word tameh. A tahor and a tameh is unclean. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one, meaning that we're all born and shaped in iniquity and in sin that our mothers conceive us. And even in our very nature, we have sin. Even in our nature. And hence, when we're born, we're born into sin and we're born little sinners. And Job says, how can a man then be clean, to whore, purely clean, be seen as clean, in the eyes of God clean? And you see, brothers and sisters and friends, that's the way the sinner is. Unclean, tome, before God. How can you bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? A tome is, is the unclean. You know what it means? One that is polluted with something. We're polluted with sin, polluted with the fall of Adam, polluted with his germs, polluted with the law-breaking of God's law. We're polluted with sin. But it also means to be foul, F-O-U-L, to be filthy. God sees us outside of Christ and everyone in society as unclean, filthy in his sight, no matter how much they go to church, no matter how many Sundays they come to CET here to the tent and sit on, he sees them as unclean. And the thing is, because of these idle word preachers, many of them are dying unclean. They're dying unclean. Hence, they are sinners before God. The preachers are allowing them just to go to their death like that. Friend, don't you die unclean. Do you hear me? Friend, don't die unclean tonight. Don't you think, well, God will let me in. I'm a good Protestant. No, 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 no. No, no. I'm a good woman Catholic. No, no, no. Listen, if you die without Christ, you'll die in your sin. You'll die as unclean before God. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6 and verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah realizes the man who has a priestly ministry in the temple, 
who sees the glory of God. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. And with twain, one did cover his face. And with twain, they covered their feet. And with twain, they did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he says, among it all, in Israel, even a priest, he says, my lips are unclean. You know why? I've seen the holiness and the glory of God. You see, we've lost the fear of the Lord and the awe even in the church. We've lost the awe of God. The reverence and the respect toward him. Even as blood-washed children of God, we have lost that awe of Christ We've lost the awe of Calvary. We've lost the awe of the blood. We've lost the awe of what he's done for us. Brothers and sisters, it's time that we got back afresh to Mount Calvary. It's time we had a fresh look and asked God the Holy Spirit to show us the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, your sin and mine, because we've lost the awe and the reverence and respect of Christ. So Isaiah says, my lips are unclean. And it's the same word here, Tomei. My lips are foul. But sure, Isaiah, you're a priest. Sure, Isaiah, you're ministering in the tabernacle. You're in the temple. Sure, Isaiah, you, you said you've seen the glory of God. And Isaiah says, yes, I did. But when I seen his glory, I seen me as unclean. The charismatic maniacs or oh, the glory of God is here. The glory of God is here. It's not there. And I'll tell you why. If the glory of God showed up, you'd be in your face. You'd fall to your face before him. His presence shows up. But if you've seen his glory, you'd be on your face. You and I, We'd be on our face before him. Isaiah says, oh, I've seen him and I'm unclean in his presence. And how would you stand in that day, friend? You who are unsaved. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My lips and the people around me, he says, they're foul. Gives the idea, he says, the people I live among are rancid. In the sight of God. The people I live with are rancid. Israel were rancid. And I can tell you now tonight. When I look around our nation. When I look at them. And I see what's going on. Our nation is rancid. Rancid. You know how bad it's getting? That just last week or on Wednesday past. They passed a bill in Westminster for Northern Ireland that the strongest, most possible, if you want to put it that way, of child sex education has been passed for Northern Ireland for little ones. Primary school. That means the teacher will have to say, I can't teach this to be right with God. The teacher's going to have to make up their mind. Is it God before government? Is it even Christ before country? Is it Jesus before job? Talking about bringing in these transgenders to read story or to your children now. Hear me? Story or to your children. Now listen, brothers and sisters, and I'm saying this without fear or favor. I'm saying this without reservation. If you're asking me as your pastor what to do, see when they do that, take them out. Take them out. Protest the school and take them out. Tell them my children will not be sitting under this filth. My children will not be listening to this. Their little innocent minds being perverted. Genders. 
Isaiah says, I dwell in the midst of a people of uncleanness. Not that Isaiah was anything special, and neither am I. But my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts on the cross by faith. Isaiah 64 and verse 6, he says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isaiah says, look, we are all as a, an unclean, a rancid, foul, polluted thing, a tome. And all our righteousnesses and that which is our good works and our good living and the things we try to do, all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. And the filthy rags means menstrual rags. Women use rags in their menstrual cycle. This is the idea of it. And Isaiah says it's like as if the women have been just placing the menstrual rags here and they're going rancid. He says, that's what my works are like before God. That's what my righteousness is like before God. That's what my doing good is like before God. Outside of knowing him. I think we get the picture, don't we? Psalm 111 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I, I thought about this. Because, you see, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, once said, Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Aristotle said that. Now, here's the thing, brothers and sisters, today... That sort of so-called wisdom is in, you know, it's all about me, myself, and I. It's about my feelings. It's about my emotions. It's about how I feel. And so it must be right if I feel it, you see. So that must be the beginning of wisdom to open up to all liberty. Aristotle Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom, you're wrong. The scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 1 and 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And see the word instruction here, it's the word musar, that means chastisement or even correction. And the fool will say, don't you dare tell me what to do. Don't you dare preach the word to me. Don't you dare tell me how I should be. Don't you dare bring the moral laws of God to me, the Ten Commandments. Don't you dare. The Bible says the fool will despise the wisdom and instruction. See the word, by the way, knowledge. The fear of the Lord's beginning of knowledge. It's the exact same word, da'af. And it's the exact same word when the Lord says in Genesis 2, verses 9 and 17, about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that Adam and Eve were not to take of it, for the day and the night thereof thou shalt surely die. And when they took of it, of course, then death came. And that wasn't the beginning of knowledge. That was a knowledge that brought them to death. See, man in his thinking can't think right unless he walks by the word of God. Proverbs 14 and verse 26 says, The fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Now, the word confidence here is the word mivtach. Mivtach, and it means trust, refuge, security. So to fear the Lord is strong refuge. The fear of the Lord is strong security. The fear of the Lord is a strong trust to his children, and they shall have a place of refuge. Listen, this word here, refuge, or mivtach, it gives the idea of one, to act in confidence, or it is the object of our confidence. But in this Proverbs 14 and 26, the tense that it is in, and the context that it is in, it is the state of your confidence. So the fear of the Lord is strong 
in the state of their confidence. They live in a confidence in God when we have the fear of God. You see, we're to obey God rather than men when they go against the word of God. And we're to have the strong state of confidence in that. A strong state of confidence. Notice here, Proverbs 14 and 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Lord, when we're fearing God, when we're holding him in awe and in reverence and in love, when we serve him and worship him and walk in obedience according to his word, then it is depart from the snares of death, the snares of the things of the world that want to bring us into death. Because we're already fearing him. Brothers and sisters, I looked up this word, fountain, fountain. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And it's a word, makor. It means a fountain, a spring, or a source of water or whatever. But the root word for makor is just core. Do you know what it means? To dig, to break down, or to bore, to cause the flow. So they used to come and they used to dig a well. And they went down deeper and down deeper. They down deeper and they kept digging the well. That's what's known as core in the scripture. They dug the well and they went down. They get into it and down and down and down and down. Digging, digging, digging. Until the water started to spring forth. Until the water started to bubble up. Until the water started to come out like a fountain. And so the fear of the Lord is like you're digging. Lord, I'm trusting here and I'm digging through this. I'm hanging on, I'm trusting, I'm going on in, I'm believing you in your word. You're awesome, Lord, to me. I reverence you, I respect you as a mighty God, my Father, as the creator, the maker, the keeper, the sustainer of the heavens and the earth and all thing that is in them. And you're the one who came to bleed and die for me in the person of your son. I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging. And the word is saying, stop. And the world is saying change. And the world is saying you're wrong. And the world is saying you're bad. But you're digging until the fountain of life flows. It's the idea of this. See, if we had the fear of the Lord in the church, we'd change the nation. I want to say it again. If we had the fear of the Lord in the church, we would change the nation. Listen to this. Zechariah 13 and 1. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. A fountain open, it's, it's the exact same word here, makor, where the, the word kor, to dig, comes from. To dig until it flows. To dig. And you see, sometimes when we're even in our Christian walk, we have to keep digging, we have to keep pressing on, we have to keep going. We get dry spells. Dry spells in prayer, dry spells in reading the word. We get dry spells. But we keep on trusting, we keep on believing, we keep on going. And we just don't sit at ease in Zion and hide behind uh, the settee the before we come out to the meeting and say, I can't go out, I can't go out because I'm just not feeling it. It's not about feeling it, it's about believing it. And it's about digging on until the water springs forth. And here there shall be a fountain open in the house of David for sin and for uncleanness. Do you know what that fountain is? Do you know what that fountain is? It's a fountain of blood. Jesus came, hung and bled and died in Calvary. And there is a fountain open in Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Sure, haven't we been washed in the blood? Have you been washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood? There is a fountain filled with blood.
at him, clearing off for a second. See the man that wrote that? Took a nervous breakdown. Took a mental illness. He ended up in a mental institute and only in England. That's the wee town it's in. I've been over and seen it. And John Newton, amazing grace. How sweet the sound to save the wretch like me. He came to visit him. He was called, he was called Cooper, William Cooper, or Cooper. And he went, goes to see him and he starts to encourage him. And they start writing all these wonderful hymns together. And he wrote these words. Thinking about it, he was thinking, I'm a saved, I'm a right, I'm a saved. Is, is Jesus even exists? He had all these doubtings. And John Newton just kept speaking to him and speaking to him and speaking to him. And they witnessed together. And he started talking of Christ until his faith was built. And listen to what he says. I do believe, I will believe. Shall be till I die. What a Christ. What a Savior. We say amen, brothers and sisters. Wonderful Savior. You know, this fountain opened, prophesied of the coming Christ. John 19 and 34 on the cross it says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came the right blood and water. Could I say this with reverence, this word core, to dig, to bore, with reverence to speak. That Roman soldier took a spear and he dug out a well of blood from the side of the Savior. He bored out a well of blood from the side of the Lord Jesus. But listen, his doing, the soldier's piercing, was our cleansing coming from the blood of Christ. He was doing his worst, but God sent his best. God sent his best. So, in 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And that's true. But John is writing here to those who are in Christ or out of Christ. Those in Christ, sometimes doubting, he's saying, listen, if you're perfect, you know the perfect love of God for you, you'll live a life of blessing. You'll be in awe of him, reverence and respect of him, but you'll be in awe at him. But if you know not Christ, then you have something to fear about. Let me try and round this up. 
Proverbs 8 and 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. This is what I've written. One who fears, reverences and respects God cannot be neutral toward evil. You can't be neutral. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12 and 30, He that is not with me is against me. He that is not with me is against me. He's saying there's no sitting on the fence because the devil owns the fence. Proverbs 16 and 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. If we fear him, then we'll stay away from the world. If we fear him, have our awe and respect and reverence to God, we will not have the world call our hearts. We will not enter and be enticed by the things of the world and all the evils and the ungodliness of it. Rather, we will be against it and hearing it. If we fear the Lord. The word evil, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, is the word ra. And in this case of Proverbs 8 and 13, it means ethically and morally evil. Maybe some of the teachers here tonight, the school teachers, or especially if you, if you teach English, you maybe help me here afterwards. Ethically moral and moral evils are as follows. Any moral negative event caused by intentional action or inaction, such as murder and lying and theft and so on. Action, someone coming to deliberately morally hurt another. Do something ungodly in the sense of the scripture to another. Or even the inaction of doing nothing when it's happening. Children have being abused mainly in Catholic institutions. Said mainly, not just only. Abused. A pastor in Dublin and almost every one of them 20 years ago under the or over the age of 40 had been abused in the church. Almost every one of them to a man and a woman. I said mainly not only for others have had the same indictment at them. Children and many stood by and said nothing. What about the abortion that's happening in our land when people are saying nothing? Christians are doing nothing. Ministers are not preaching against it, speaking about it. I'm going to wrap this up in a second. Here's what I want to show you. The word here to hate evil, it gives the idea of, a, of an action that it expresses intensity of a certainty. In other words, if you're hating evil, you hate it because as much as you hate it, you fear God. I fear him, but I hate this. Let me give you an example. In Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, and the Lord says, From every tree of the garden, you, know, you may freely eat thereof. And the day that thou eatest off thereof, thou shalt surely die. Here's what one of the Hebrew renderings reads it. You're ready for this word, hate. It's the verbal action. It's only it's in dying and in eating. From every tree of the garden, eating you may eat, but when you eat, you'll have to continue eating. Speaking of this knowledge that we spoke of, of the tree of good and evil, the Lord was saying, in the Hebrew it's stronger. See when you say you're eating, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It means eating, you will eat, and you will continue to eat because you need to eat of it. And there's the sin of it. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die is the exact same tense in the Hebrew. It gives the idea of dying. You will surely die. And you will die a death dying. That's the way it reads. 
a continual dying. The word pride here, we hear a lot of it, don't we? But pride comes in different forms. Men and women who think they can live life without Christ are full of pride. Preachers who feel they can preach without the Spirit of God and the anointing, they're full of pride. There's men who are prideful over their wives. Their wives can speak nothing to them because, well, they know better because what are you, woman? Pride comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. But the word pride here, do you know what the Hebrew word is for pride in Proverbs 8 and 13? And it's a strange word because I, I don't know if there's a link because I just couldn't find it. I tried. And I'm wondering, is, that, is there a link? It's the word gay, awe. Oh. For pride, gay, awe. Oh. And it's the only place it's used here. And it means to lift your head up. Talk about with an organ, say. And the Lord says, I hate it. I hate that. So where do I finish? <laughs> the English word pride is mentioned 49 times in the scripture, your King James Bible. In Mark 7 and verse 21, and it speaks of evil things that come out of the heart. And it's the word evil is the word kakos. It means evil to the nature, to the core, comes out of your heart. We started like this. What's in there will come out. What you've been taught will come out. What you watch will come out. What you listen to will come out. What you hear will come out. What you fill your mind with will come out. And the word here is hooperphania. It's a Greek word, and this is what it means. Haughtiness. The character of one who has swollen estimate of his own powers and merits, looks down on others and treats them with insolence and contempt. One who holds his head up high. It is the sin of an uplifted heart above God. Who's God? Is there a God? Who is he? Who does he think he is to have any sway over my life? God says, I hate that. I hate that. And hence he says, I hate that on a froward mouth. You know what the froward mouth is? Simply it means a mouth that's full of profanity. Emptiness. And evil. And God says, I hate that. Now, if we fear the Lord, so will we. We have no choice. And the man and the woman, the Christian, who say we have to affirm others' belief that they are so many different genders or whatever, that we have to affirm these things rather than man and woman, male and female. And when we have to affirm these things, then we're not fearing the Lord. If we affirm abortion's okay, then we're not fearing the Lord. If we affirm the living sin's okay, no matter who you are, your sexuality, whether it's heterosexual or, I don't know, homosexual or whatever sexual, there's that many of them now that call themselves, I don't know. But if we say to even someone who's heterosexual and you can live how you like and you can live in all different sorts of manner of sin and you can fornicate and you can get drunk at the weekends and go out and take your alcohol and your drugs and come in sure and look, God forgives you all over again. Listen, God will forgive true repentance, but a true repentant heart will not go back and will walk on with God. It's not climb up to the altar. Every time we meet on a Sunday, the altar's the cross. The altar's the cross. And the Christian who has become lethargic and worldly, listen, God before government, Christ before Caesar, 
the word before the world. The Savior before society. What do you say to that then? Eh? Come on, Christian, this is this is real stuff we're talking about. This is stuff that pricks the heart and we say, oh yeah, maybe I better think about that. Maybe I better look at that again. Maybe I better get my act together here. And by the time you go home, you forget about it. Sure, that's a do to our Sunday. Maybe give it a miss to let my heart ease. Uh, uh, that speared me through the, the, the very heart. And I'll maybe wait till next weekend. Since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme, shall be till I die. Till I die, it's Jesus loving me and me loving Jesus. Timmy, to come up, please.